upload this message the way it usually is, but also Facebook. And if you give me a few minutes after the service, hopefully I'll get it on YouTube. It takes about 45 minutes to get that uploaded, though. So um, the service is being recorded through this microphone, but I'm speaking out of this microphone. So if you wonder why the multiple microphones, I had to get an attachment to connect it to the phone. So anyways, I hope that recording's going okay. I wouldn't know otherwise. Um, before we get into James chapter 1, I just wanted to tell you, if you don't know, and I think we all do, we're living in different times, aren't we? I mean, they would say that this is a once-in-a-century pandemic, and hopefully that's true. Strange times. It's also a time where the next few weeks, it's hard to say exactly how things will go with the church. So at this point, we're going to keep on meeting for those that come, but there's no pressure. Nobody has to feel compelled, but I don't know how music will go. So we might, Megan's done a wonderful job today. Thank you, Megan. We may experiment a little bit using audio tracks through CD or using YouTube to lead the worship services. And I encourage you, come as you are. Um, I know that some of you are probably informal. Those that are watching virtually in your pajamas, uh, I don't expect you to get dressed up. We should do that. We should ask everybody that's watching on, on Facebook or on the website to post a picture so we know they're dressed for church. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, a reminder, though, that regardless of what we go through, it's a time to surrender all to the Lord, right? It's a time to trust in the Lord. And I hope it reminds us. You know, in America, we have all these different things that we trust in. Many times we go to the, we talked about this in Sunday school. Many times we go to various different things before we go to the Lord. We trust in, I'm going to lower this just a little. I hope it doesn't make noise. Many times we go to money, we go to affluence, we go to the internet, we go to Google, we go to whatever else before we trust in the Lord. And this is a time to remind us we need the Lord, and we really need to trust in the Lord. And we should be going to the Lord all the time anyways, but this is a time to definitely kind of shock us back to that reality. A few years ago, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers, uh, David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah went to Cedarville back in the 60s, which is the college I went to. His father was the president of Cedarville um, during its major growth phase. He actually, his father was the president who kind of saved Cedarville in the early 50s when they were really, really struggling. And uh, so I was listening to David Jeremiah on Turning Point. This was way back in probably 2011. And he talked about talking with Chinese Christians. He's leaving, he was visiting Chinese Christians, and he's about to leave them, and, they, and I think they're at the airport, they're about to leave, and they said, we pray for you. And he, and he said, really, how, how do you pray for American Christians? And they said, listen to this, they said, we pray for persecution. Now, in case you didn't catch that, these are Chinese Christians who are persecuted, and increasingly more so, Praying that we face persecution in the United States, at least in this one case, talking to Dr. David Jeremiah. And Chinese Christians face a lot of persecution. Uh, Karen, uh, Karen Olson Coy shared with me an article this morning about Chinese Christians and persecution. They've faced it. So in a way, they know what that's like, but they also know how it brings them together. It's interesting as you follow these types of things that Christianity is growing in China right now. By, I think it's 2050, it might be before that, Christianity is likely to out, Christians are likely out to outnumber communists in China. 
How do we deal with difficulty? How do we deal with hard times? How do we deal with struggles? In a minute, we're going to go to James chapter 1, and today we'll talk about James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. And these verses are written specifically about trials and persecution. As we talk about this passage, I want to show you that James challenges his audience that perseverance in trials will build them up in maturity and holiness and give them a reward in heaven. I'm going to repeat that for emphasis because that's my theme. James challenges his, his readers that perseverance in trials will build them up in maturity and holiness and give them a reward in heaven. Maturity, holiness, reward in heaven. A number of years ago, I went through and I looked up every time perseverance is listed in the New Testament. It is repeatedly listed throughout the New Testament. It's quite likely what James is writing about in chapter 1 has to do with persecution. It's also quite likely what he's writing about is uh, our situations where the rich are oppressing the poor. But he also will say, blessed are you when you face trials of various kinds. Our country is facing a trial right now. I think we'd all agree with that. If we weren't facing a trial, I'd ask you all to move to the center section in the front. We're spread out because we're facing a trial. We're facing a difficulty. The worst I've ever seen in my lifetime. And Friday, there was a, well, the week before last, there was a four-year-old boy who fought his whole life to live. And he ended up dying a week and a half ago. And they were in the community but didn't have a church home. And so I was called upon and did the service on Friday. Brings out back the reality, right? That life is brief. James later says we're but a vapor. On Thursday night, I went to the calling hours, prayed with the family, and I'm driving home. And I look at the parking lots, all empty. My prayers are with those that are losing income right now because they can't work. They want to work, but they can't work because their businesses are shut down. Their waiters or waitresses at my kid's favorite restaurant, Texas Roadhouse, and they can't work right now because it's you know, shut down except for the carryout. Prayers are with them. It's a different time. It's a difficult time. It shows the economic turmoil caused by a pandemic as well, right? Maybe we wouldn't usually think about economic turmoil. So James challenges his audience and us that perseverance in trials will build them up, will build us up in maturity and holiness and give them a reward in heaven. I was preaching on evangelism and I switched to do a, a short series on James. And I pray and hope that once we finish the epistle of James, we're moving out of this pandemic. But I thought James is fitting for a time like this. So let's go to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. And let's read this passage right now. James chapter 1. Uh, verses 2 through 12. I'm going to turn there in my Bible, though I actually have it here. I'm a little confined today because I usually like to move around, but with two microphones, I dare not mess anything up. So let's read this. James 1, 2 through 12. James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 9. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's walk through this passage. In verses 2 through 4, and then again in verses 9 through 11, James writes about trials and temptations. We're going to look at those here in just a moment, but uh, first let me give a brief background to James. Um, I preached a sermon uh, intro to James before. Actually, I preached through James before as well. And I skipped the sermon intro for this series because I wanted to get right in James. But James is the half-brother of Jesus, there were multiple people named James in the New Testament. One of them was a disciple, and he was killed in about A.D. 47, beheaded by Herod. You can read about that in Acts chapter 12. This is a different James. This is James, a half-brother of Jesus. I had a professor at Asbury a Theological Seminary who made the case that James was probably the most important apostle in the first century. Now, we would think it was Peter, or we would think it would be Paul. But it seems that he made the case, it seems like it was James. One reason is being the half-brother of Jesus didn't hurt him any, did it? I mean, that's kind of good on your resume. The other reason, if you look at Acts chapter 15, we have the first official church council. And James led that church council. All the people speak. Peter speaks. The apostle Paul speaks. They all speak. And then James led the council, and James made the ruling decision. The Jerusalem church was a very large church, and James was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Now, it's very interesting because the apostles actually, uh, Jesus' brothers, I mean, Jesus' siblings did not believe him when he was in this life. They wanted to kind of hide him away. They didn't believe in him. But apparently, after, uh, after the crucifixion and resurrection, James repented. James followed the Lord. Now, what happened to James? Josephus is a church is a uh, historian, not a church historian, but a historian, and he was a, a Jewish guy, a Jewish historian. He actually had a lot of alignment with Rome, but he wrote that James was stoned to death as an as a Jewish heretic in A.D. 62. Stoned to death as a Jewish heretic in A.D. 62. So this is the Epistle of James. It's one of the earliest. Uh, written, by the way, possibly written in the mid to late 40s A.D. Uh, James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. A lot of wisdom literature in James. So let's get into here. In verses 2 through 4, and then again in verses 9 through 11, James writes about trials and temptations. So James says that you should consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials and temptations. Doesn't make sense, does it? We're going through trials, we're going through temptations, and we are to consider it Pure joy. Have you ever considered it joy at the time when you're going through a trial or a temptation? 
We're going through a trial right now. Maybe not a temptation, maybe that too. We're going through a national trial right now. And a worldwide trial, are we considered a pure joy? There's people, uh, I don't know about here, but possibly listening, who went through World War II. Major, major trial. I cannot imagine living through that. Or the Great Depression. But James says, consider it pure joy. Think of it another way. We may not consider it pure joy when we are going through a trial. But what about after the trial? What about after the temptation? Have you ever considered it a good thing after you go through a trial or a temptation? Afterwards, a long time ago, 2005, I was listening to Chuck Swindoll on the radio, and I'll never forget him say it. He said, I'm thankful for the valleys as well as the mountaintops. Without the valleys of life, how can I ever appreciate the mountaintops? It's a basic statement, but it's true, right? God teaches us things when we're going through trials and temptations. And James is going to say that here in just a minute. Now, what type of joy is James writing about? He says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, pure joy. This is not meaning mere worldly, temporal happiness, but rather spiritual, enduring, complete joy in the Lord, who is sovereign over all things, including trials. He is talking about a joy in the Lord. When we go through trials and temptations, we can experience a joy in the Lord. Not a worldly joy, but a joy that comes from the Lord. He says, pure joy. This is not partial joy. This is complete joy. Now, what type of trials is he writing about? The text says trials of many kinds or various trials, depending on your translations. One of my sources says that he is talking about the trials of the rich oppressing the poor. And that is possibly quite likely, as the rest of James has several passages dealing with the rich oppressing the poor. In fact, later on, later on, James is quite specific about the rich and the poor. But he does say various trials. So I don't want to limit it to that. We could apply, we could take the application to any trial, including the trial that we're facing right now. It was around 33 AD that the Apostle Paul, Paul the Apostle, stood, stood as a witness to the stoning of Stephen. It was around the same time that Acts 9 records the Christians fled the Jerusalem area because of persecution. It was prior to that time period that Peter and James were persecuted, persecuted in Jerusalem. And James was written from Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church faced many, many types of persecution. They knew what it was like to stand with Christ under persecution. And by the way... This is not in my notes. This is free. By the way, the church grew by persecution. There was a church historian. Um, I could think of his name, but I can't because I want to. Uh, he was an early church historian in the 3rd or 4th century, and he said something to the effect of, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. I've said this before, so I'm just repeating it here, that um, we don't know who planted the church in Antioch. Antioch became a massive sending church. We don't know who started that church, but we do know what happened. In Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. Acts chapter 8, there's more persecution going on. Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul is trying to chase down Christians to, to kill them. He was Saul. He wasn't, he wasn't the Christian Paul yet. And the church fled. In the beginning of Acts chapter 8, the church fled Jerusalem because of the persecution. But when they fled, they took the gospel with them. Their Lord used them. 
the Lord used them with the gospel. So in this passage, the text says many kinds of trials. So we must also consider it a joy when we face persecution or when we face trials. Why would we consider physical persecution pure joy? Why would we consider verbal persecution or other types of persecution as joy? Why would we consider the persecution of the rich oppressing the pure, the poor, the rich oppressing the poor as joy? Why would we consider life's struggles as joy? The next two verses clue us in. When our faith is tested, this develops perseverance. This perseverance carries the idea of patience or steadfast hope, expectantly waiting on Christ. But this is not all. The next, the next verse continues. The text continues. Verse 4 says that this perseverance finishes its work by making you mature and complete. We go through various trials. We go through a variety of trials. We go through persecution. And this makes us mature and complete. This completeness has the idea of holiness. Holiness. I think it was Chuck Swindoll who quoted somebody that said, when the Lord wants to do an impossible task, he, makes an impo- he takes an impossible person and breaks him. That we don't grow without being broken first. A.W. Tozer has written things like that. We grow spiritually. We grow in maturity. We grow in wisdom. We grow in patience. We grow in the fruit of the Spirit through trials through things like we're dealing with now, through actual persecution. We grow in holiness through our, ta- through our trials, whether verbal persecution or physical persecution, whether oppression or other trials of health or finances. God is building us up in holiness. And that, and, and that is why we rejoice. That is why we count it as pure joy, because we are growing in our trust in the Lord. We are growing spiritually. We are growing as people of Christ. Why would the Chinese Christians pray for persecution in the United States? This is because they are facing persecution and they know it builds them up as a church. They know it builds them up as a church. Listen to this. The following prayer was prayed by an Ethiopian at Sadu, Walamu, Ethiopia. He writes or prayed, Almighty God, from the depth of my heart I plead with thee to send us trouble. When our king was exiled... We were in much trouble with the foreign Italian rulers. We had to meet in secret and were in constant danger of our lives. That was a time when we worked in harmony with our fellow Christians. Many a night, after I had locked my door and gone to bed, tired from a day's long journey of preaching and teaching, there came a persistent knocking. Lord, how I wanted to sleep. And surely... But they, would, but they wouldn't want to be baptized at night, I would think, and be hunted and chased and put in prison and beaten. But they said they had seen the Christian's joy, and they too wanted that religion. Every night there were more and more. The guy continues, We read thy word and talked about it and prayed about the nights. We shared our joy in the Lord. We worked side by side with only one desire, to preach and teach the gospel. Then, Lord... Our king came back. The foreign rulers were forced to leave our country. We have peace in our land. We baptize in the daytime. We are not beaten. We meet and pray. Yes, but we are beginning to grow careless in our zeal for thee. Jealousies creep in and spoil the harmony. Petty troubles take on uh, in large meetings. We are selfish in our ambitions. Dear Lord, send us more trouble. I pray thee. 
that we may forget ourselves and be so dependent on thee, that we have no time to become selfish and jealous of our fellow Christians. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, we can tell that was written decades ago. I'm not sure it was when it, when it was prayed or written. But the trouble brought harmony in the church. The trouble brought the church together with one common goal. Now, if you look at verses 9 through 11, in verses 9 through 11, the text will come back to the idea of trials. This time, it is specific to the trials of the poor and the rich. Let's reread those verses. He says, but the, bro- the brother, stumbling over my words, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and his flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. The brother in humble circumstances... This means that they have a low social status or financial status. How can someone in that type of status have pride? That's what he says. He says a brother in humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. How does the person in a low social status have a high position? They can have pride as they don't have the temptation to depend upon wealth rather than God. They do not have the temptation to depend upon wealth rather than God. Look at the next verse. There is now a contrast. The rich have a low position. He says the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Humiliation. Why? What he means is that the rich are more likely to depend upon their wealth rather than God. Come back to my example about the Chinese Christians praying for persecution in America. In China, many Christians are persecuted. In in China, many of the churches are underground. So they know what it's like to depend upon God. What about America? Historically, we've had many excuses not to depend upon God. We have many things we go to beyond God. We need to go to the Lord, though. In verses 10 through 11, James uses an analogy to say that our wealth passes away. At death, we are all on the same playing field. It says the sun rises and the heat withers a plant. In the New American Standard Bible, it says scorching wind. And I read about that. The scorching wind might refer to the Sirocco. It is an especially devastating hot wind blowing into Palestine from the southern desert. But the summer sun by itself was also quite effective in wilting Palestinian flowers, which were then useless except as fuel. So he says, the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is, is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. We're all in the same playing field at the end. We, all be, we are all before the Lord. We all need to go to the Lord for help and strength and guidance. Let's go back and look at verses 5 through 8 now. Verses 5 through 8, he says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the servant of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In these passages, wisdom and faith are contrasted with doubting. Wisdom and faith are contrasted with doubting. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. Who gives out wisdom? God. God gives out wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? God is the provider of wisdom. There's an amazing passage in 1 Kings chapter 3. 
1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon, the son of David, has become king of Israel. And the Lord says to him, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He asks for wisdom. And the Lord gives him wisdom. Verse 6 which says, when you ask, believe, don't doubt. Now why does this matter? This is why. When we ask God for something, but we really don't believe he can fulfill it, this dishonors God. Why ask God for something when we don't really believe he can do it? That dishonors God. This undermines God's ability. The text goes on to say that this makes the man double-minded. Why? This is because on one hand, we call ourselves a Christian and we pray to God. On the other hand, we don't even believe he can meet our needs. That's really one of my problems with compromising the Bible. In the early part of the 20th century, they started taking apart the Bible. They started taking out the virgin birth. They started saying Isaiah was not written altogether. It was written in two or three parts. They started taking out the miracles of Jesus. That undermines God. Why doubt? If I'm to believe in Almighty God, who's the greatest of all, and the King of kings and Lord of lords, and who created the heavens and the earth, and who can save us from our sins, I have to also believe he can do these miracles. We have to ask, believing God can meet our needs. When I was a child, I thought my dad could fix anything. And he really did fix most things. A toy would get broke and my dad could fix it. There was not a doubt in my mind that my dad could do it. We need to have the faith of a child in our God. Right? Many of you were probably the same way. You thought your dad or mom could meet all your needs when you were a child. We need to have that type of faith, that type of trust in God. But sometimes... God allows us to go through trials in order for something to be better, for us to grow in our trust in him, for us to grow in our patience, for us to grow in our perseverance, for us to grow in our wisdom, for us to grow in our um, maturity. So how does the wisdom and faith relate with trials and tribulations? This is how. We need wisdom to know what choices to make in our trials. Then we need faith to trust God to guide us. You hear that? We need wisdom to know what choices to make in our trials. Then we need faith to trust God to guide us. The passage is also written about reward. Look at verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. When we persevere in our trials, God gives us the crown of life. I believe he's talking about eternal life in this case, but the image in mind is a crown that people would receive when they won an Olympic contest. And you can see 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 about that. We persevere and God calls us blessed. How much do we pray for perseverance in our Christian life? I encourage us to start praying that way. Start praying that the Lord helps us persevere, trusting in him. Many times we have so many idols in our country and our world. We need to trust in the Lord. Dr. Lambie was a medical missionary, formerly of a place in Africa. He has forded many swift and bridges streams in Africa. The danger in crossing such a stream lies in being swept off one's feet and carried down the stream to greater depths, in, or, or you could be hurled to death against the hidden rocks. You know, you go in the stream... It's all wild and flowing. 
And the stream with its power can pick you up, sweep you down the stream. Dr. Lambie learned from the natives the best way to make such a hazardous crossing. The man about to cross finds a large stone. The heavier, the better. Lifts it to his shoulders and carries it across a stream as something that weighs him down. The extra weight of the stone keeps his feet solid on the bed of the stream and he can cross safely without being swept away. Never would have thought about that myself. You need the stone to weigh you down as you go through the stream. Dr. Lambie drew this application. While crossing the dangerous stream of life, enemies constantly seek to overthrow us and rush us down to ruin. We need the extra weight of a burden, a load of affliction, to keep us from being swept off our feet. So if you're going through a burden right now, and most of the country is, most of the world is, you're going through an affliction right now, that weight can ground us in the Lord, like crossing a stream, needing the weight of a rock to hold you down. We all will continue to face trials and troubles in life. Some of the trials that relate to health, some of the trials that relate to finance, some of the trials that relate to children, some of the trials that relate to verbal, physical, or other forms of persecution for their faith. God never promised that these will go away, but that he will support and guide us and make us stronger for going through them. Right now, many are going through trials literally having to do with health. Some, because of this pandemic, are going through trials that have to do with finances. But we can run to the Lord and let them ground us in him. Someone once said, are you praying for lighter burdens or a stronger back? Are you praying for lighter burdens or a stronger back? When we persevere, we gain an eternal reward. That's what James says. And when we persevere, God builds us up. He builds us up. He builds us up. So are you being built up? Are you staying strong in your struggles? I pray that you will. Please pray that you will. Pray that you will stay strong in your faith no matter what the circumstances. Pray that you will stay strong when, not if, but when Christians are persecuted. Make this a matter of prayer. We're all in process. God is crafting us all. This too will pass. I'm pretty sure of it. It might seem a long time. I think President Trump called for 14 days and we're now on the seventh day. The CDC last Sunday night recommended eight weeks of, of no more than 50 people in a group. That seems a long time, doesn't it? But it will pass. But when it passes, are we going to continue trusting the Lord, seeking the Lord? The first step, of course, is putting our faith in him. I know many people are watching on Facebook or YouTube later, and I just ask for those gathered here and those watching, are we trusting in the Lord as our Savior? Have we confessed that we are a sinner, and we need Jesus as our Savior. Have we believed in Jesus? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Are we trusting in him and committing to him? I think, it became, um, I think our Christian commitment can be summed up with a simple statement. Firmly make the decision to be with Jesus in order to become like him and to learn and do all that he says and then arrange your affairs around him. 
we firmly, seriously make the decision to be with him. And every day, I hope we do that. We want to live life with Jesus. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We must be connected to the vine. Live life with Jesus in order to become like him. We want to become like Jesus, to learn and do all that he says. And then you arrange your affairs around him. We arrange our life around Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would strengthen us right now. Strengthen us. Strengthen us trusting in you in trials and tribulations right now. Help us going to you and following you and being committed to you. And Lord God, if there's people here or watching later or listening on the podcast later who have never trusted you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day of confessing they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believing in you as the only Savior. Committing to you. May today be the day to firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say and arrange our affairs around you. May we all live life with you, Jesus. May we all arrange our life around you, Jesus. May we all make you the center of our life and we orbit around you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a closing hymn right now, hymn number 123, when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Please stand if you're able.